Great day, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Strategic Possibilities Show, where we discuss success and growth to help you launch potential in your personal and professional life. My name is Emmett Ferguson, and I am your host. And today, I'm so excited to have this very special guest with me. Her name is Emily Royalty Bachelor, and For those of you in the writing world or editing, this is an amazing episode for you because she is a super high level editor and she's been editing and in journalism and, you know, writing for all sorts of different newspapers and well-known newsletters for quite quite a while now. And I wanted to bring her on this episode to share not only like tips and things, but also part of her story. And, you know, I know a lot of you that are listening are going to get a lot of value out of this because it's very, not very often that you get to find an expert who has like experience like Emily. So Emily, I just want to get, get an idea to, for the audience right now, just so they can understand a little bit more about what you do. What type of editing are you currently doing? Is it for newspapers or, or what? Hi, Emmett. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So right now, I'm about, I would say I've been writing and editing professionally for just shy of 10 years. And at my current level, I'm doing a lot of different things. I have a day job where, as you said, I edit very high-level newsletter, which includes not just editing, but also content creation. And then I also do several things on the side, including everything from blogging for other companies to consulting with other people's blogs to, you know, right now, for instance, I'm editing a memoir for clients and we're getting to the cover design of that. So it's pretty exciting. I have my thumbs in a lot of pies right now. Very cool. And is uh, just to get an idea for the design part, is that something that you do at the beginning or is that something you do at the end? So I started with, for the, are we, for the memoir, what we did was we started with the content we got about 75 to 80% of the way through the content, at which point I regrouped with my author and said, okay, now we're at this stage. It's time to start thinking about our next steps as we finish. So I would say it's, you do the editing first, but everything is about juggling balls. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. different components that you have to be aware of at various times throughout the process. Awesome. And there's two groups of people that I could see getting a lot of value out of this podcast. And it's both from your experience as not only an editor, but also a writer, because uh, you didn't start your career off as like straight into editing, right? You started off as I think you said a, a journalist or reporter. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. So right out of college, my last semester of college, I found myself in a situation where I had to get an internship. And I ended up being hired. Very fortunately, I had about two weeks to (laughs) secure an internship, I ended up finding one with a local newspaper. It wasn't my ideal because I was very aware of how difficult the industry was. Um, It's very taxing, but I ultimately am very fortunate that they hired me because it was very foundational for a lot of my education as a writer. Um, And then from there, once I completed that internship, I continued to freelance for that paper because I'd established good contacts there and pursue a full-time job with another newspaper in a different town. So yeah, my, my initial experience was as a 
local community newspaper journalist. Very interesting. And it sounds like the newspaper, I haven't been in that industry, but based on what you told me, it sounds like it's a business where you are, in a sense, thrown into the wolves in a, in a kind of like a sink or swim, very fast paced environment. Is that how you would That's- describe it or... That's exactly how it is. And I think, you know, outside of the newspaper industry, there are skills that really translate to any aspect of writing or editing. But, you know, I think back to my first newspaper story, which was extremely low level. I mean, not only was I working in a very small community of less than 10,000 people, you know, very local journalism. So we're talking about very local stories, but I was also fresh out of college. So my editors really wanted to test my skills. And my first story was reporting on a local bread baking competition. And I remember being so fearful going into that situation with my notepad. This was before recorders were... Mm -hmm on iPhones <laughs> okay, yeah. and um, yeah, and my little digital camera and my editor who was soup. I had two editors and they both served valuable purposes for my, for my learning curve there. But one of my editors who was very supportive just said, you know, you just have to go and tap someone on the shoulder. And that's what I did. I went and started just tapping people on the shoulder saying, excuse me, I'm Emily. I'm with the local newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And from there, it just became heavier and heavier. It, It went to town hall meetings where I wasn't educated on, you know, local government. So I remember my second story, I made a pretty substantial error in the story where we were getting complaints immediately. And I was thinking, this is it. I'm about to get fired. (laughs) My My editor was on the phone with me and she said, no, we like just figure out the correction, own it, and we'll print a correction. That's how this works. Oh, wow. Okay. Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing the story about that moment because it sounds like it was one of those very memorable, like first time experiences that uh, helped to, I, I, th- I would say, even mold how you go about probably editing to this day. But I mean, just like to have that experience of that leadership, right? Someone to yeah, say, absolutely. Like, I mean, there are so many lessons. I could probably spill more lessons from my newspaper days than I've gathered maybe you know, in the previous 10 years since then, it was such a learning experience. And for any new writer or editor out there, one of my first tips has always been, does your local newspaper need any freelancing? That is amazing because as someone who has been been writing for quite a while, you know, no one has ever actually even shared that advice. Just go to the local newspaper. You know, oh. I heard a lot of it. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'll tell you too, that when you have journalism experience, it's something that people see and read as extremely credible. So that was not only foundational in my education, it was also a really great building block for my career. Because even at the next job I applied to, I remember the hiring manager said, well, I saw you were a journalist. So I know you work hard for practically no money. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Wow, that's interesting. All right, well, at least he was pretty straightforward. Yeah, it was that. Well, that was another great job, too, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> awesome. All right, so that's a great tip on how to get started as an editor, or at least get started as a journalist, and you know, over time work your way up. So, how about for, for writers if they aren't journalists? 
how would you say they get attention from an editor? Or I guess another way of asking this question is, what are some mistakes that you sometimes see that writers who are trying to work with editors make? And I'm not exactly familiar with the industry, so I don't know how that relationship always works. But sure. um, yeah, absolutely. I will tell you, I think the biggest mistake that I see personally is people starting a blog without any kind of foundation, whether it's a social media following, whether it's a certain level of expertise, just starting a blog because they, they have some interesting thoughts and they're going to get them down on paper and assuming that that's enough to attract people. It might have been enough to attract people when blogs were new, but it requires so much more than that these days. And I think there's so much advice out there about how everyone should have a blog that's where people find you. And I absolutely agree with that, but that cannot be the only piece that you are presenting. I hear you. So what I'm taking away is that what worked in the past won't necessarily work today. And just starting a blog without any real sort of vision or end, end goal in mind isn't as effective as it might have been back then? Yes. So that's one component. And then the other component too, I mean, obviously trends change, technology changes. We have to be willing to adapt in any any kind of circumstance. But in addition to that, blogs are no longer strictly looked at as legitimate sources of information on their own. You can't simply put something on a blog even if it's 100% factual, you've done all the research and assume people can read it and just take it, you know, for what it is. You have to assume people are going in with a certain level of skepticism. This is a world inundated with thought leaders, with um, social media experts. There's so many people out there who have these huge followings. And if you're going to try to compete with them, which isn't necessarily my advice anyway, but if you're trying to get up into that level, then you need more than what every other person is bringing to the table. Well, and that sounds pretty tough because those experts are really good at what they do and they got teams of people. So in that sense, I mean, are, are you pointing in the direction of like having to niche down and get specific or, or is it more about finding finding your voice or what would be I like would say, I would say niching down and getting specific is very important just from an SEO perspective if you're you know trying to compete on Google for top ranking even on that first or second page that's tough to do if you're if you're writing an article that says here are my top tips to success there are probably you know several articles of the same nature on Forbes and entrepreneurs you know, dot com, things like that, that automatically get those Google rankings. So it's going to be very, very challenging to break through. Niching down, finding your niche and honing in on it is a great way to attract your core audience. And then I would also say that the end goal shouldn't necessarily be to be a thought leader, to be this, you know, inspirational, high-level blogger. It should be to speak to the people you're trying to speak to about the things you know about. So I'm not necessarily going to be offering my advice on, say, gardening and agriculture or anything like that. That's not my area of expertise, right? right. Um, so it's certainly about niching down. And then I would say, as far as specific advice, 
What I tell my clients when they're trying to find their space Google page when they're trying to launch themselves is A, to find a handful of other similar blogs. Don't focus on those big giant publications. Focus on your actual competitors in the space and what they're doing and how you can do it better. Secondly, what's been very important for me and which I suggest for everybody is I actually don't have a website. I'm not on social media. I've found success strictly at this point through perseverance, cold calling, or more importantly, later in life through my network. Whenever I'm in a situation where I'm thinking I could use more work right now, the first people I reach out to are people I know that are in that field that I know I can speak to already. I know I have valuable services to offer there. That's awesome because I think, especially with digital media today, or at least I do, I don't, I don't speak for anyone else, but like, I feel like, you know, having, not having a website is almost like, you know, how, how would you even find clients without it? But you know, you got to remember that for centuries, millennium, people have been doing without the internet and a website. So I'm so glad you share that with, and, and everyone out there is that, you know, making sure that you manage your network and that cold outreach for, for your cold outreach is that like do you do a script or is it you just call those newspapers or i usually have <laughs> i'll usually perfect you know what i consider a, a conversational cover letter the kind of cover letter that's and it's not your standard cover letter i'm not you know dear so and so it's just that con that same kind of concept i use for that introductory email and I keep it very conversational. I keep it very short. People don't want to read paragraphs and paragraphs. Your experience should be able to stand for itself. So what I do when I reach out to people is basically say, hey, you know, here's my experience. Do you need me for anything? Is there any way I can help serve you? Do you have any, any spaces that I can help bridge the gap on? And when you phrase it that way, you know, I think, I think one of the problems with the job market as it is, is that people feel like the job is the prize and they need to sell themselves. When, you know, I found more success viewing myself as the prize and having the job sell me. Okay. That's definitely a very, very alternative approach that I think would be very helpful for people because once you change the way you frame your approach, you can definitely you know, it really changes the entire way that you go about things. And it sounds like it's been working for you. It has been working for me. You know, I have a very, <laughs> as you said, perhaps um, aggressive attitude. <laughs> right, sure. Toward, toward making connections, you know. I would say that harks, harkens back to my um, newspaper days when my editors would say, call them every 15 minutes until you get an answer because we <laughs> need a quote. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah. Very aggressive. Well, that's, that's more than some salespeople. Absolutely. But <laughs> at the end of the day, once again, there's a love, it's, there's a level of aggression there for sure, but it's less about aggression and just more about assertiveness. If I'm not interested, like in a job, if someone's asking me to audition essentially for a job, that's not how I go into these kinds of interactions. Usually, even if somebody contacts me and says, we think you'd be great for this job. My reaction is always, 
I may or may not be perfect for this job, but either way, I'm really interested in connecting with you. I'd love to talk to you more about whether I'm the right fit for this job, and if not, how else I might help to serve you. Because when you focus back on what you can do for the client, rather than what the client can do for you, suddenly that desperation is coming from them, not from you. They're no longer desperate for, or you're no longer desperate for them. They're desperate for you now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So basically the approach is to, you know, be assertive, but also, you know, once you do get the conversation going to make sure that you're, you understand how to add value to the conversation. Is that? That's exactly it. That is a perfect way of summarizing my word dump right there. (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. Okay. And Here's another question. So you have the experience as a reporter and you, you know, did the, the entry level uh, journalism and, you know, now you're doing some great editing work for some huge newsletters. And when, and I wanted to get, uh, get your take on this, but how do you be an editor, but also, you know, still allow the writer or the creative person to still keep their voice? That's such a great question, and it's very challenging. It's something that I think is an acquired skill because you want, when you have your hands in a piece of content, you want it to represent you, you know? And as an editor, that's ultimately not your job. Your job is to represent the writer in the best possible light by their audience. So just as an example, you know, I've worked with some really non-traditional people who've written about ideas that are kind of unique or, you know, go against the cultural grain as it were, things like don't go to college, don't own a home, you know, those kinds of messages. And well, hey, I went to college and I own a home, (laughs) you know? So I have to figure out, my job is not to say, well, here's, you know, my kind of take on this situation as well. My job is to step into the voice of the writer. And I think, I honestly, I think being a good editor requires a certain level of empathy. You have to really put aside your own ideals, your own perspective to make sure you are relaying the message that is intended to be relayed by the person whose name is on it. Right on. And, and is there like a level of, and you were mentioned those, those controversial topics. So uh, as an editor, are, are you responsible also for like a PR to a certain extent as well? Or, you know, based on what you're saying, editors would do better to just focus on their jobs and then let the the PR people handle that side. Oh, that's an interesting question. And it's honestly one I've struggled with throughout my career. And, you know, it really depends on what kind of writing you're doing. If you're talking about factual writing, whether it's technical, trade, whether it's news, there you have to be really cautious of bias. And bias can come out in ways that we don't see ourselves word choices, things like that. So that's a little bit different. Whereas blogs, things like that, those are actually inherently meant to be biased. So yes, it is about doing the job 
that's, I mean, that's a component of anything for sure. But there's also, you know, a level of trying to understand the writer and their perspective outside of your own perspective to understand what value they may be adding to their audience, even if you're not part of their audience, even if you're reading them and thinking like, this doesn't necessarily apply to me. This doesn't, you know, this isn't advice that would work in my life. You have to sit back and say, I'm not this person's audience. Who is this person's audience and how are they speaking to them? And how am I going to help distill that message in a way that highlights the person to the best of their advantage without compromising what they're trying to say. So there's a balance for sure. And I can't tell you, here's how you do it, because I think at the end of the day, it's a learned skill. You just have to be able to put aside your own perspective and adopt somebody else's. That's great. And earlier you did mention empathy. So I think that is definitely a very key part of that. But also on the other side, thinking from the marketing side is what does the audience want? Correct. Awesome. All right. And that actually, that question actually came up. I was listening to or reading a book and it said something about Judd Apatow, the comedian, comedy movie screenwriter. And it was saying how he used to like get in, get into arguments with, with directors or get upset when directors would, or not directors, but like the producers when they wanted to change something in the story. And, you know, I was just wondering, like, you know, have you ever had like a writer get upset at you for wanting to, to make a certain change or, you know, does, that, does that happen? Really? Yeah. And I will say that this appears at any level of writing. It doesn't matter what kind of writing you are doing, kind of editing you're doing. I mean, even as a newspaper writer, when you are representing another person, even if that's your byline under the headline, if you're attaching someone else's name to a quote or to a theory, you know, it is very important to understand that they may take issue with that depending on how you approach it. So there's a level of honesty, I think, that is important in the news industry. Whereas in the blog industry, it's much more about feeling. It's less about fact. It's more about feeling like, hey, this is a problem I'm struggling with. Is anybody else dealing with it? This is how I dealt with it. You know, there's a very different context there. But at the same time, you still have to be able to if you're, say, editing somebody else's blog and that's their byline, or if you're editing really anything that's attached to another person's name, you have to be conscientious that they may take issue with how you present them. So it is, there's a delicate balance there. And in my experience, that requires a lot of communication but it also requires a level of pushback. So for instance, my memoir writer, you know, she had a couple anecdotes. She said, I think these are really important. And I said, I totally understand what you're saying. Those are important. My point is, I don't think you need to say them because the reader already understands that's what you're saying. So it's about hearing what the other person is saying, but it's also about knowing that you are adding value to their work, leaning into your own expertise and saying, hey, this is why you hired me. I just want you to know if you print it this way, this, is, this might be how it's taken or this might be how it's interpreted. So I would prefer to stick with the way I have it. What do you think? But 
at the end of the day, if somebody says, no, I want to say this specific thing and that's their name attached to it, then that is their choice. And it's not on me to censor them. Oh, okay. So what you're saying is basically that for certain types of editing, especially the one that you just described in that memoir, it's being that expert sounding board or, or consultant for ideas and making sure that you help them have the most impactful voice. Yes. And also as opposed making, to writing it for them. As opposed to writing it for them. And you know, there's that's also kind of tricky because, you know, certainly there's a level of ghostwriting involved in mm-hmm. many aspects of my job. But again, everything should be if if it's not your name attached to it, if you're the editor, everything ultimately should be a conversation back and forth with the writer saying, here's how I feel. The editor saying, here's how I'm interpreting how you feel. Is that correct? And the writer saying, no, that's not right. Or yes, that's totally right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So being able to step in the shoes of also the the audience and the potential reader to be able to give that secondary perspective before the book's release. Right. Yeah. And you know what I, you know, one of this, this might be overly simplistic, but I always tell people when they're thinking of their audience, when they're thinking of their reader to think of themselves, they are their own ideal audience. If they're speaking truly to themselves and their expertise, their goal is to attract other people that understand exactly what they're saying. And that means people that are very, very similar to them. So you have to read it when you're going back say you don't have an editor, say you're just writing, or if you're editing someone else's writing, if your job is as an editor, you have to sit back and be able to read it, not just from the perspective as the person who wrote it, as the person who's fine tuning it, but as the person who's absorbing it. You know, you get, there's so many, I think a lot of people get into these um, habits of over explaining ideas, which I'm probably doing right now on your podcast. (laughs) And um, This is great. This is amazing. (laughs) And, you know, they think like, this is all super important. I have to get all my thoughts down. And what they're not thinking is that their audience has already absorbed that from everything they've already said previously. So you have to be cautious about treading the line of speaking clearly, but also making sure that if you were reading it, you wouldn't feel like another person was talking down to you or over explaining it to you. Interesting. And it sounds like that's something that definitely requires, you know, a lot more experience as an editor and to be able to catch those things. Because I never really, I've never thought about that, but I feel like I've written a good amount of content. So that's an awesome tip to make sure that you're aware of, you know, how you're making your readers feel. Yes, exactly. You are so good at distilling my points clearly, Emmett. Oh, wow. Well, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and just to get an idea, so you've had this, ama- this amazing experience in having, working your way up to doing some amazing, amazing editing work and doing books and newsletters and, and newspaper and everything. This is a, a sort of a fun question. Uh, you know, you shared a lot, of, a lot of great tips so far from that like high level creative perspective and knowing your audience and everything. But what would you say is like the, the wax on, wax off skill you would say and what i mean by that is you know if you know the story of you know the karate kid wax on wax off he had him do it over and over because that was the like the thing to help him block block things so what would be like a a writer or an editor's like just 
key skill or key activity that they can do to improve their craft? Oh my goodness. That is, that's a loaded question. I have to think. It is. Okay. No worries. Um, I, I would say my initial like basic skill anybody needs that a lot of people are lacking is, and maybe a lot of people don't understand is that writing and speaking should be very, very similar. What we learned in high school and college about the eight paragraph essay, all those things, formality, speaking in, you know, academic terms. Sure, there's a place for that. And it's in a college campus library. But when you're talking to the mass public, people don't want to have to sit with your content to try and understand what you're saying. They want to read it as though they were having a conversation with someone that truly understood them. I would say being conversational is a skill that every writer should focus on as strongly as grammar, as strongly as spelling. Being conversational is as important. Nice. Okay. All right. And that's something that I think is, is a very valuable skill. I've heard, I've heard that a lot quite a bit in the copywriting space where you need to be conversational you know you need to be able to speak at a like you know that that face-to-face conversation with somebody right and i would say yeah and i would say it's actually more true in editorial than in marketing copywriting is a very very specific niche in the writing field it marries writing and marketing it's it's a unique skill it's honestly one that 10 years in is not one of my strongest because copywriting is, is challenging. But in editorial, you're not, there's nothing, there's no bottom line per se. You are just purely speaking from the heart or from your perspective, you know, from your education and hoping that someone hears it, absorbs it, and it helps them. When you're copywriting, you have to be very, very conscientious about getting clicks and hitting dollar marks. When you're writing, sure, there's a goal of getting views, of getting clicks, but at the end of the day, I think what drives that motivation for any writer is that they just want their words heard. Yeah, definitely. For sure. I mean, for for the things I've written, you know, just to just to get a couple like likes and engagements for them, it's it's a win. Small exactly. Wins. And good. and when you come at it from that kind of honest place, when you come at writing from a, a place of honesty, and again, I'm speaking of editorial writing because copywriting is a very unique skill set in which you are also selling a product. But when you're working with editorial copy, where you're trying to make a point, where you're trying to educate or inform, that should be honest and authentic because at the end of the day, those are the components that are going to attract the people that keep coming back to you. Yeah, and that makes me think of something else in the sense that you know, when you're doing editorial, that's when you can really start to build an audience because it's more about sharing your ideas and coming from that perspective as opposed to, you know, the copywriter who, you know, sends out a direct mail campaign, no one ever knows their name, and, you know, it comes down to the clicks and the purchases. Good point then. That's definitely something to, to think about and definitely something for the audience to you know digest all of these amazing things that you've shared uh, i'm so glad that you know you're willing to 
help not just writers, but also editors to improve the work that they do and anyone that's you know, trying to work their way up. And is there, what would be the best way to reach out to you if someone wanted a consultation or, you know, someone just wanted to learn more about editing or anything? So the best way to reach out to me is directly through LinkedIn. I don't have a website. I'm not on social media, but I check my LinkedIn daily. I connect with basically anybody that sends me an invitation. If somebody has a question for me, I love having direct conversations with people. So I would love to hear from people. I'd love to get those um, inbox messages. I'd love to make those connections if anybody would like to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and to, to share everything that you did on this uh, episode. And um, for everybody else, thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful night.